they discriminate a lot more on the quality of food, especially with, you know, rising food costs. There's no compromising on quality anymore. You just, you can't be mediocre and survive. What's up, Zach Oates here, author, entrepreneur, and customer relationship guru. Welcome to Give an Ovation, growth strategies for restaurants and retailers, where we find industry leaders to share their secrets to grow your business. This podcast is sponsored by Ovation, the actionable guest feedback tool that works on or off premise and is easy, real time, and actually drives revenue. Learn more at OvationUp.com. Welcome to another edition of Give an Ovation. I am joined by Ganja Sendemir, who is uh, the co-founder and CMO of Flatbread Grill, uh, which was founded by Ganja and her two sisters. It's been profiled in the, in the New York Times. Inc. Magazine described it as a true family business. She's a social media pro, and I'm so excited to bring her on to talk about the next normal, what we're doing, what we should be doing and how restaurant operators should be thinking about the future. Ganja, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So first of all, I would love to hear about Flatbread Grill. I know there is an incredible backstory there, uh, you know, from your father to what your sisters are doing, the things that you guys have gone through. But I would love to hear about Flatbread Grill and, uh, and, and what that story is. So Flatbread Grill was started back in 2007. Uh, my father was diagnosed with congestive heart failure, and my older sister was laid off from her job. Um, we had grown up very poor, so he had never been able to afford health insurance, and he needed open heart surgery to survive. So after my older sister, Fisun, was laid off from her corporate job, she decided that she wanted to start a restaurant. And at the time, my younger sister, Arzu, had just graduated at the top of her class, and she was deciding if she was going to go work on Wall Street or if she was going to go to law school. I was, at the time, still struggling to make it through college. Um, as a, I was a filmmaking major with a minor in English and kind of lost and directionless trying to figure out what to do with my life. And you know, my sister there. sort of... <laughs> my sisters had it a little bit more together than I did. Um, and, you know, the, after the layoff, uh, Fiesta just decided that she didn't want to go back to working corporate. And she asked Arzu to help her with this restaurant idea. And then they both kind of came to me and was like, oh, yeah, we're starting a restaurant. Do you want to do like marketing stuff for it? I was like, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, it's the, we were in business together and there was no business strategy and no like real clear direction there. It was just like, we're going to start this restaurant and it'll give us enough money to, you know, be able to afford health insurance for our father and get him the lifetime medical care he needs. Um, you know, and the doctors had said, like, even with open heart surgery, he's going to live only five years it was that bad but he's oh going on 15 so hey well congratulations you, yeah, that's awesome <laughs> and so tell me about kind of the the vibe of a flatbread grill fast casual um upscale really really like a high-end ingredients um am I, am I describing this pretty well no you are actually have you eaten there um, <laughs> i wish so i know i looked online it looks so yummy 
we um we started up at a time when um fresh wasn't really a trend yet like making fresh food to order wasn't a thing you know uh it was just like you were either fast food or high-end fine dining right and rzu was really kind of the mastermind behind that where she was like we have to serve fresh food made to order in a casual environment and it has to be branded and it has to be able to compete with other restaurants um like when people look at it they have to be like oh my god this place like looks cool like i want to eat there and it was really just trying to take the food we had grown up with and my father had restaurants growing up by the way and it bankrupted him um so we did grow up in the restaurant industry um and we did grow up around food we love food uh we'll take food over anything else any day of the week. And we just kind of <laughs> used our love of traditional Turkish food to take it and transform it into something that we thought, you know, anyone would want to eat. Um, Middle Eastern food, Turkish food isn't um, very big in this country. And it's not considered high end, like Middle Eastern food is still kind of considered street food. Right. And you not think of like people... a street philosophy. Like when I, when I think about my time yeah. in Istanbul uh, and going through Egypt, right? Like I think about like the, the street falafel and yes. that's that's like yeah. my concept of Turkish food. And then you get Turkish delight, which is like, you know, it is <laughs> so sweet and so delicious. Once you get once you like get used to the texture of it, it's delicious, right? You know, the, the ice cream in Istanbul is slightly different, uh, especially like the the mm -hmm. the purveyors of the ice cream. They're, uh, you know, a bit obnoxious in a humorous way. But I remember my wife, like, you know, got the ice cream cone and then got taken away and they got put it back on and she was trying to grab it. And anyway, we had so much fun when we went to Turkey. And so but yes, you have to you have to take those flavors and make it a little more attainable and uh, kind of shift the mindset mm -hmm. for people to understand the uh, Turkish food. Yeah. We were, you know, my father was like, well, we have to be Turkish food. He loves everything Turkish. He's very traditional and Turkish people do tend to like stick with their tradition. Um, but Arzu was adamant about, no, it has to be done this way because nobody is going to walk into walk past the place and say, Oh, Turkish food. Like, I wonder what that is. Let me come in. Like, Think about yeah. college students, you know, at the time we were in our very early 20s, like, I don't just go into a Turkish restaurant to, to grab a bite to eat or grab a sandwich, you have to like go, it's waitstaff, very traditional. Um, and we would actually, uh, when we went to Turkish restaurants, we would order everything a la carte, and then we would put it together ourselves. And that's how our platters came about, like we would order Ever, we would order an extra side of rice, order um, the yogurt cucumber sauce, which is actually just served as a dip. But we start, started serving it as a sauce. We would take the hummus, the salad, like, and just make our own plates. And of course, the Turkish chefs that worked there thought we were out of our minds. Uh, so, uh, you know, there was very much that, that kind of thinking of how can I make this food so anybody anywhere will eat it, even if they've never eaten Turkish food, mm -hmm. you know? And then she decided that to further complicate matters, she decided we're going to make our own specialty flatbread. <laughs> so we, we, she brought in um, some Turkish bakers to try to help her figure it out. But they were just like, they told my, my dad, your daughter is just on another plane of weirdo. Like she should just buy the Turkish bread, the traditional bread at the market and just serve whatever she's going to do with it. Let her do that. 
And she's like, no, I have this vision of a bread I want. It's small, so we can make sandwiches on it, but it's still like soft enough where we can start cut it in half and serve it with our soups and salads. So she went out and she got baking books and she taught herself how to make it with my father's help. And it was like, they became their own little test kitchen. And um, that's what became thumb bread. And that kind of became a, a big, big part of our menu. And, well, and you know, it's name. It <laughs> Yeah, it, it just it took off because the New York Times ate at our restaurant and two within two weeks they had eaten there. Like two months later, we had a, an outstanding review about how great our breads were. And um it just it took off. Like people thought like it was a chain owned by Starbucks. And you know, and keep in mind I'm just I'm still trying to survive college and now I've I'm in charge of this massive budding business, you know, and we have to still find a way to save our father's life <laughs> so I no mean... pressure there and, you know the from the financial perspective so my father had um mortgage out his last remaining piece of property that he owned which is where we all lived so it was like well if you lose the money we're gonna all be homeless so a little bit more pressure and it wasn't a lot of money um there was not much equity in the property so it was just it wasn't a ton of money when we were working with literally nothing we had no money to market we just ours we put up a sign with our logo and said coming soon and then when we knew what date we were opening we just slashed that out and put the opening date and that was it it was just like the logo was really what drew people in and curiosity because they wanted yeah. to you know see who three crazy girls were <laughs> so so, so and, we, and this is this is fascinating because i mean the the story continues right what what has in your mind what has uh, changed that will never be the same about the restaurant industry? Um, I think that the concept of fresh food is it's stuck. You know, it it. I don't think people can ever really go back to serving crap. I think consumers can really, and they're, you know, they can discriminate now between um, if something is coming frozen from a distributor or whether you're making it from scratch in your kitchen. And we, we set that bar for ourselves um, very high early on. And, you know, we've had concepts come along, co copy us, like they're even like trying to do that. Oh, we bake our own bread thing, which is it's coming par baked from frozen from another bakery. And they're just popping in the oven where yeah. we were, you know, we've come we kind of always stuck to we're going to always bake it by hand. And we did like our pitas, we would bake it individually. Everything was scaled by hand. Everything was rolled out by hand. Um, and I think that we kind of saw a future for fresh food, you know, like consumers, um, they're, they discriminate a lot more on the quality of food, especially with, you know, rising food costs. You know, if they're going to pay yeah. $15 for something, they want it to be good. Yeah, and, um, it needs to are, taste like twenty dollars uh, if I'm going to spend fifteen dollars to eat it, right? Exactly, exactly. And it's just, there's no compromising on quality anymore. You just you can't be mediocre and survive. There's and, too much market saturation. Oh, totally know? right. Because the especially with things going digital, the effort it takes to mm -hmm. switch from one restaurant to another, it's no longer a ten minute drive. It's one click, right? And so yeah. if I go on to order. And I'm like, oh, this place was a little bit better, but let me try this place because I didn't have a great experience here last time. You know, you could very well lose that customer. Um, and so, yes, I think you're totally right. It's so important 
that your quality stays high because consumers can can see more and the switching costs have never been lower. Um, what do you think, speaking of online, what do you think about what's going on online with third party and first party online ordering? What's your guys' take on uh, on that whole, we'll call it a, a hot mess? It is a hot mess. <laughs> and it didn't, you know, it, it didn't have to be a hot mess, but it turned into a hot mess. Um, so I'm, I've been very vocal and outspoken about my feelings on the third party aggregators. And, you know, I don't, I don't hate them. And, you know, I did at some point view them as a necessary, necessary evil, like so many people in the industry. But I, you know, I always saw the potential for them to be better. And as, as a customer, when I was in college, um, right before we opened the restaurant and you had like, you had, um, means to order like seamless Grubhub was in very limited markets. But once they came to our market, it was like, oh my God, I can order from 20 different restaurants through like one site. That's cool. I think that they have the potential to, um, build up a culture that, wouldn't have repulsed so many people. <laughs> Let's say that, like you, you, you know, you hear Grubhub, Seamless, or Uber Eats, now you're like, yeah, yeah, uh. you know. They had the potential to be more than that, and they had the potential to really be partners, like they said that they would. You know, that was their early promise to own operators: is we are your, mar- we are a marketing platform, we are your partner, and it didn't kind of go like that, right? And I, mm. I um. From our perspective, we saw them as becoming greedy, um, hogging all the data that they don't want to share with us. And in a way, they became very adversary, right? Now, like, we're, there's this constant back and forth, like, you're screwing us. And they're like, no, we're not screwing you. We're helping you. And there's this constant back and forth. There's no transparency. There's no accountability. It's just this free for all. Um, And it's like it's I like the prison that, guard bringing you food and being like, "Hey, I'm helping you." It's like, "Well, yeah, let me out of prison. Let me help myself." <laughs> it's, it's they're they're you know they have some of the most brilliant people working for them. They have like top level engineers, and I just don't think they're using it to make our industry better. I think they're using it to their own advantage, and they're using it to satisfy their board of directors and their investors but um you know what about the the small guys like the you know they were they were they were giving us crumbs and then the bigger chains were were getting a little bit more flexibility you know in their commissions and how they got placed on the platforms um i think that there needs to be an overhaul and i really think that they need to listen to what owner operators are saying and I'm a big advocate of owner operators taking back control of their customer data and doing native delivery, you know, launching your own app, getting your own online ordering up and running, because the real competition here isn't even for revenues with them. They, they want your customer data. They want yeah. to know what your customer is eating, what time of day, how often they're ordering. What and, they're searching um, for. Exactly. And that's basically what they want. So if you can take that back, Somehow, I mean, I've seen, I've seen some restaurants putting like long notes on their bags, like this is how Grubhub treats us, or don't order from Uber Eats because this is how much they take from us, like little like letters on their bags, um, which is by the way against their terms of service. Mm, I don't, it is. I don't yes, know it is. that. <laughs> <laughs> 
you're actually not supposed to put like any marketing information or like um, so the delivery.com would give you like coupons and seamless uh, Grubhub would give you coupons too. And like, if you were putting them in customer's bag, they would send you a letter because you know, we're, we're in a market where a lot of their sales reps actually live. So they're like order from your restaurant to test to see if you're actually doing that. Um, but I think that I will say though, Ganja, I have heard of restaurants getting letters. I've never heard of anyone getting kicked off yet. No, they they see that's the like the one thing that they don't do. I mean, for us, like we pulled ourselves off the platform um, at the beginning of the pandemic because we had shut down um, to kind of navigate it, and they were like calling us and emailing us, like come back, come back, come back. Yeah. And um, yeah, they they'll they'll issue you warnings, but I have never heard of anyone getting kicked off. Like they're they they are so desperate to have like everybody on the platforms that they're. I'm sure you've heard that they're. They're even pulling menus of people who never signed up with them. Oh, so and I, that I, and yeah. does that too. Oh my gosh. And I've been in the restaurant. I remember I was at a restaurant. It was a fine dining restaurant. Somebody went in to pick up an order and the chef was like, we don't, we don't serve food through, through Grubhub. So sorry. Yeah. And he's like, well, what do you want me to do? He's like, that's not my problem. If they want to order, they can call me yeah. and order. Like, I'm not going to give you food to deliver yeah. to them. You know, I thought it was just, yeah. it, it's interesting. It, it, the other thing that happens, right, is that they'll they'll um, have ads for, if I Google like, you know, okay. flatbread grill, you know, DoorDash is one of the first ones that may come up. And so I think that you're totally right. And, and in their defense, and I think that kind of where this was, you know, what you were alluding to is that they're not the enemy. And this is something that I try to bring up all the time on this podcast is third-party delivery is not the enemy but you can't use it as your sole source of online revenue. Yeah. You need to take control, right? right? You need to learn how to leverage (laughs) them, leverage them like they were a search engine, leverage them like they were an, uh, an acquisition channel. It's not the only acquisition channel because, and certainly please do not market that you do DoorDash, Grubhub, Uber Eats in your restaurant. That, yeah. Take those stickers down today because all you're doing is giving away revenue. You have your customers in there. You take control of them. I think that a a big part of um, why a lot of people started, a lot of restaurants started using them in the first place was because the whole marketing, it's, you know, like a search engine. And then also because Grubhub was offering drivers, right? So we had our, we always had our own cannot deal with the third the third party aggregators drivers that's a that's a whole nother conversation um like so they they have the driver infrastructure um but their driver infrastructure is so messed up that it was better for them to just stick with being a platform that markets and you know advertises all these different restaurants i think because um they tried to build this driver infrastructure i think that eats into their costs a lot yeah. You know, but I don't, you're absolutely right. I don't see them as, um, as the enemy per se, but there is definitely room for improvement. And I just question why, why have you not improved? You know, like why have you refused to listen to restaurants? Like 
when we tell you, okay, when I tell you as a restaurant owner that there are some customers who will take your food, eat it, and always ask for a refund, those people <laughs> exist. You gave them an in to go and order $200 worth of food, and then all they have to do is go into the app and be like, oh, my driver tampered with it. So boom, they get a refund, but that refund is pulled from the restaurant. So, yeah. we, you know, we've asked for things like, can you put, um, you know, like, some kind of stricter policies into practice instead of just always appeasing customer. No, that never happened. Can you give us more transparency on our statements? Like, I want to know, um, you know, where the refunds are going, the, at least the customer name, you know, who's calling in for refunds, who's asking for refunds. I want to know, um, they, they have such like a weird breakdown of their percentages and their commissions. Like, I want to know, you say uh, marketing fee, like, what type of marketing did you do? What does that apply to? Like phone orders. I didn't have any phone orders. Like why are you, you know, like it'll, how many phone orders did I have? They'll, they won't even put that. They'll put a number there, like $45. Yeah. Like, well, can I, I at least like know the person that calls to place this order, you know? Yeah. And it's just like really little things that if they had listened to us, I think that it could have been a mutually beneficial relationship as opposed to reaching this point where we you know, you hear that, you hear like Uber Eats or Grubhub and you're just like, oh, eat them. Well, you know, <laughs> I, I think that there there is a brighter future ahead, um, but I think that everyone's going That's through a transition right now, including a lot of these third-party <laughs> delivery systems. And, uh, you know, everyone's trying to figure out what is the next normal? How do we, um, how do we react to that? But uh, I, I've really enjoyed this conversation, Ganja. And here, here are my key takeaways. One, reinvent what you do to fit your audience, but keep your soul, right? I love that, that, that whole concept yeah. of you took, you took something that was core to who you were and you made it uh, accessible to your audience. Uh, love that Two, no, This is a quote by Viktor Frankl. Um, I was just looking, I have his book right here. It's called man's search for meaning. And in there, he says, if uh, the man who knows his why can bear almost any how, Ganja, you and your sisters had such a strong yeah. why that you were able to press forward and persevere. And now you've got a great brand, great food. So uh, good job there. Number three, fresh is here to stay. And number four, third parties can, should, and may still be a partner. Uh, TBD on that. Uh, Ganja, how do people find you, follow you? Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I love LinkedIn for business stuff. Personal stuff, I do have an Instagram at Gunja Sandemir, but you have to like really bright colors, books, and plants. Otherwise, don't follow me. <laughs> I mean, how do <laughs> we find sister, Flatbread we Grill? A, flatbread Grill is online everywhere. It's at Flatbread Grill, Facebook, Flatbread. So we're flatbreadgirl.com. Um, right now, we are transitioning to a delivery-only model um, over the next six months. And we're also, we'll be selling our proprietary bread, thumb bread in retail next spring, so. Awesome. Well, for inspiring me and all of us uh, at Ovation and in the restaurant community uh, for going forward, being strong and uh, always creating great food, Ganja, today's Ovation goes to you. Thank you so much Thanks. for joining us. Thank you, it was a pleasure. Glad you're with us today and thank you. Thank you to the risk takers, the troublemakers, the crazies who are keeping this world clothed and fed. You're the ones who deserve an ovation. Again, this podcast was sponsored by Ovation. To see how we can help you grow your business, go to ovationup.com. 
Don't forget to subscribe. And as always, remember to give someone in your life an ovation today.